Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. chapter 4 verse 6 James was the leader of uh, Jesus's brother younger brother obviously and was the leader of the church in Jerusalem was martyred sometimes uh, probably around about 60 AD when there was an uproar in uh, Jerusalem and the governor got recalled to Rome and they the Jews took the opportunity to stone James and throw him off the temple. So that's the sad news. But he was obviously very committed to what he, to what he believed in seeing his own brother risen from the dead. And, uh, but James, James is very like, if you read James, he's very like this. You know, he doesn't mind telling it exactly how he thinks it is. So obviously when you read this, it, it's interesting that uh, the church in Jerusalem, even just a few short decades after the resurrection, had, a lot of them had just gone back to their former life and their former lifestyle. And he really hauls them over the coals here um, about them living their life for themselves. And he says in the preceding verses, he says, you pray and you don't receive. He said, the reason you don't do is because you don't receive is because you're asking for wrong, wrong int- int- with wrong intentions. You're coveting what other people want and, and you're just not living a godly life. Now, that doesn't mean that God hasn't got good things for you. God has got good things for you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in f- fully. But James was drawing this line between living your life with, for yourself, for your things, and never getting what God has, the good things God has for you because it's in your strength. You're clinging, you're clawing, and striving for things that the world tells you you want when God has it for you all along. And then he says, but there is greater grace available to you. And today we're going to be sharing on this greater grace and how it's made available to us. So James says in verse 6, but he gives us greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. He gives greater grace. Well, uh, we all love the grace of God, of course. It's his unmerited favor towards us. But there is a greater grace that is available for life. That means more grace. Okay, there's a generic grace that applies to everyone. There is, uh, which means God's love. He, He gives rain on the wicked as well as the righteous. And we're going to look in Daniel a little bit later about how, how that impacts people. But, uh, and then there's, there's this realisation that we have when we discover, and if you can get the podcast on last week's message and the week before, because we're building on top of that, it's like steps moving upwards, and it's a little bit hard to leap to this if you've missed those two, all right? Um, but there's also grace can be manifest as power or giftings in your life. Okay? Now, grace is not those power or giftings, but it is manifest as those. 
So it's, it's, you, you can hardly say to someone, I love you, I love you, I love you, I adore you, but you just struggle through life and, you know. So in God saying that he has grace for us, he now makes grace more available to us. And he, it's like a grace tap. Well, actually, it's on one level you've got over here, you've got, if when you're prideful, it's like the tap is turned right off. You might get a drip, drip, drip. And you're wondering why things just aren't working out in your life. And your pride can be really subtle. It's like you don't even, the, the most subtlest form of pride you don't even recognize as being pride. Okay? It's that, that so-and-so did to me. You know, those sorts of things. And on the other side, there's humility. And he says, now there's greater grace in this area of humility. And we're going to look at humility. He opposes the prideful. That's a scary thought. Anything it's scary to think that God might be opposing us because we're prideful. But he gives greater grace to the humble. Now, uh, humility is very attractive, okay? Um, that's why you need to get to know me before you like me. <laughs> when you meet people that are humble, uh, it's just something really attractive about it, you know? Um, years ago, uh, so I was teaching media in, in uh, college, and we did this, um, we did this uh, a song with uh, Barry. We did an MTV-type film with Barry White, Barry White's music, you know, the first, the last, my everything, and the answer to, you know that song? Okay, if you're over 40, you just, <laughs> you heard of Barry White? Okay, all right, so, so we used that, and it was actually a celebration of, of teaching, and it got played at the national teaching thing and that sort of stuff, and I was showing uh, my friends this, and uh, so one, one of our friends uh, was an um, uh, a American from... Um, California, and he was a bass player. And he's actually uh, taught at School of Music Bass, the School of Music in Canberra at, at ANU. And so we said, oh, you've got, to, you've, got to, um, you've got to come and listen to this. So they came to the lounge room, and we put on this, uh, uh, this Barry White, you know, very unhumbly, put it on to show him this great video that I did. And he's going, the first, the last, my every... This is Barry White, not my friend. do 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 and, and this, this general friend of ours, named Eric, he just he leans over next to the TV like this and he just, he just listens very carefully like this and he doesn't say anything. And uh, I just noticed he's listening and he's just nodding away. I thought he's enjoying it. You know, I knew he's a bass player. He's enjoying the bass line. You know, but he's still there after a few minutes. And I said to his wife, Karen, I said, what's he doing? She said, oh, he's just listening to see if it's him. <laughs> it turns out that he was Barry White's bass player for many years, traveling all around the world. But, you know, did we know? We'd known him for years. Did we know? We had no idea. And do you know how attractive that is when someone's that humble and uh, you, you, I'm showing off this silly video I made and he's the bass player on it. <laughs> you know? So I must have looked very unattractive. <laughs> um, the first date I took Linda on... Okay, we're safe. First date I took Linda on, I thought I'd impress her, so I, 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 um, I borrowed a friend's motorbike. Um, yeah, it was a good start. Yeah, so it was a, 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 I think it was a Yamaha 1100, and, and a good friend, good friend to loan your motorbike. And I said to, I, and we went for a little picnic out uh, a little river outside of Canberra, 
And I, I said to Linda, so I'd only known her about a week at this stage, um, so we weren't engaged at that stage. There was a few more days before we were engaged because you don't want to rush into these things, you understand? All right? So I said to her, have you ever ridden on a motorbike? She said, oh, yeah, a couple of times. I said, oh, well, this is what I said, just get on the back and just hold on, and when I lean, you lean, and all that sort of stuff. So we went out there, and we wound through the, the, uh, the bends out to the cotter, had a picnic, wound back, got back alive, and she got off and that sort of stuff. So uh, then she went back to New Zealand about a week later, and I was starting to forget what she looks like. So I got her to send, I said, listen, you're going to need to send some photos. <laughs> so we exchanged photos of each other, and she sent me this photo of her, and here she is with this, like, big trail bike that registered, road registered. It was called Animal. <laughs> you imagine what it looked like. And it was her bike. <laughs> I didn't even have a bike. Like, I had to loan it off a friend. And here she is with this trail bike, <laughs> called Animal. She's got a license. She's hooning around Auckland on this thing called Animal. You know? And, like, I was like, oh. <laughs> Face plant, you know? But you know how that, that sort of humility is attractive? Isn't it? It actually means you, this person's not going to promote themselves. You know, you can trust them. And I was meditating on this during the week, and in my office, because I'm still working for a few more weeks down the coast, the Lord delivers us out of them all, praise God. Um, and in an office, and my office is also, uh, it's a large room, and it's shared uh, with, it's occasionally used for a meeting room. So I actually had been meditating on James 4 at the beginning of the week, and I'm sitting in my office at about 8, eight o'clock and uh, doing some work, and three people walked into the office, and they walked in through the door, and they came and stood in front of the desk, and they just started to talk to each other and just ignored me, because it was this meeting room. And they're going on and on and on, and I'm thinking, hello, hello, you're literally standing in front of my desk, and they haven't even said hello, walked into my office. And of course, unlike you people who are so spiritual, I started to get a little bit offended, by this, I think, how can you walk into someone's office, carry on a conversation, not even say good morning to them? And so I started to think of real smart things I could say. <laughs> you know, like just sort of, you know, I was thinking, I'm going to say, oh, good morning, ladies. You know, like I was thinking. And then I remembered how God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And how, like, part of my mission there is to witness to these people. So I didn't say anything, just kept working, all right? And after about five minutes, they left. And one of them, about five minutes later, walked past the door without saying sorry. She was like this. She said, oh, by the way, she said, hi, Grant, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing great, thank you, and how you doing? And I thought that opening would never have happened if I had been prideful and stood up for my right, you know? But God supplied grace there for that. And then about 10 minutes later, the other one, who happens to be one of the principals, because uh, it's principal, one of the principals of the college, she'd been in the meeting, and walked in, and she sat down across from me, and she said, hi, Grant, how you doing? Now, wherever they went back and talked, and they realized that, I said, I'm doing very well, thanks, how are you? And I said, how's your family? And then I got a 10-minute spiel about her family. I didn't get asked how my family is, but that's <laughs> that's all right. All right? There's something very attractive about grace that opens, that humility that opens doors. That God's able to move 
in your space where you live because you're not putting yourself forward. All right? And so we see that um, if you just have a look, turn to Romans chapter 1. This applies uh, to power for ministry. It applies to power for life. It applies to marriage. It applies to God opening doors for you because you're not striving. You're resting in him and you're being humble about it. You're not forcing your will on other people. Okay? Well, in Romans, I just want to show here that, that, that this applies to ministry. It applies to gifts. It applies to God's power in your life. So Romans 1, verse 5, it says, Through whom, through Jesus, through God, whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. So here's, here's the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, saying that the call that we have on our life is a grace. And the gifting that goes with it is a grace. That means it's not deserved, it's not earned, and that when we're prideful about it, God resists us. Okay? Uh, Grace and apostleship. We're all called, we're all apostles actually in one sense, we're all called to go into the world. Okay? Apostles just a fancy fancy word for missionary. Someone that's got a mission to reach their world around them. All right? So, and then over in, um, in Romans 12... Verse 6, everyone got that? It's page 1,151. Okay. Um, It says, so we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, which is interesting, just a little detour there. A prophecy covers a whole range of things, including just preaching or just sharing with someone that God's inspired you or it's God's word. So, but the Bible says we're not to do that. We're to do that in accordance with our faith, like accordance with the belief that we have from, from God's word. But moving back, it says, for through, uh, he says, verse 3, through the grace given to me, I say to you, and then in verse 6, it says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God actually, the the gift that God has for you to do here in the ministry and outside in the world is a grace. It's not something that you ever can deserve and it's not something that you will lose if you fail, all right? Uh, The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. It's something you will lose if you don't use it, all right? I was telling the prayer group over there, which I was late to, I woke up in the early hours this morning and I normally spend a couple of hours in the uh, Sunday morning in the Word, and I woke up and I'm thinking, I just, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Uh, and I'm thinking, God, um, I don't know that I can handle this or do this. I, I didn't feel like I, I was getting anything. And I said, so you better really get your act into gear, <laughs> and you better step up because I'm not handling this. <laughs> and, and, and then I realized, of course, well, that's grace. It's understanding that, that we, we, the gifts and the callings of God are not according to our ability. They're graced by him. And, uh, and we can't earn them and we can't unearn them. We can ignore them and lose them by ignoring them. 
and I was listening to, did anyone see Billy Graham's, uh, Billy Graham's, uh, parts of Billy Graham's funeral? And, uh, and the, the service they had in Washington, I think it was the leader of the Senate or Congress, I can't remember, he got up, and he talked about Billy Graham being born and when he was born, and then he said, and then he used this expression, by all appearances, Billy Graham was an extremely successful person. He was driven, he was skilled, he gave up everything and achieved all these great things in his life. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's not how Billy Graham would have wanted that expressed. But I just noticed he'd started with by all experiences. And then he got to the end of it, he said, however, Billy Graham would never have said that because he knew it was, it was by the grace of God. And I thought, how beautiful. That's why, one reason why we all loved him, you know. And, uh, and so uh, all the gifts and callings of God uh, are graces and empowering to us. Now, it's not just for ministry. It's for marriage. It's for finances. It's for work. There's grace for our life to empower us. And it's turned on by humility and it's turned off by pride. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, and, and we, you needn't go there, but there's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if anyone had a, a right to brag, it was Nebuchadnezzar because he was actually the ruler of the king of the greatest empire at the time. And the Bible says, which is typical of their expressions, of the whole world and all, whole civilizations. Um, and so everywhere that they knew of, he ruled. And if anyone had the right to brag, it was Nebuchadnezzar too, because he was not just some lame duck, duck king. He actually would lead his army into battle. I mean, this was one valiant, mighty dude. And he would lead his army into battle and conquered the known world. And, and yet God was dealing with Nebuchadnezzar because he, he, he conquered Israel and they, they, the, the, um, the, the empire had brought the, uh, a lot of the um, Jews across into Babylon, including the king. And do you know they've actually found accounts? You know how accountants rule the world? Accountants do rule the world. They had, they had found accounts uh, in, in Babylon of, of allowances that they were giving to the Jews and the Jewish kings. And for, for decades they thought that this exodus were, was just a made up in the Bible. And then they found actually the names of the Jewish kings uh, and, and the, the allowances that, that Nebuchadnezzar was giving him to live on. Right? But Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, um, we know the story of Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. All right. Or as if you're in Sunday school, you may have learned it as Meshach, Shadrach, and off to bed we go. <laughs> okay, and how they wouldn't pray, they wouldn't, they wouldn't bow down before Nebuchadnezzar, and so they were thrown into this fiery furnace, and nothing happened. And he said, "Stoke it up," and he stoked it up so much so that even the guards that took them to throw them in there were perished from the heat. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says, looked in. And he said, uh, and he said, and he said, oh, I threw three men in. There's a fourth man in there who looks like an angel, looks like a son of God. And of course, who is that fourth man? Well, that's another sermon altogether. But who, who is the fourth man? I'll tell you. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. No, um, 
haven't heard that old Robert's sermon? Okay, thank you. Uh, so he had this experience, and they brought them out, and they didn't even smell and, of smoke. All right, so he had this amazing experience of God, and he said, these, these guys, they, you know, he started to give honor to the Most High God. And we all have experiences where God gives us opportunity and reveals himself to us. But, you know, like, like Jerusalem, like the, the church in Jerusalem, we all sort of slip back into the comfort zone of the world and the status we have in there and looking for glory and being prideful in the worldly sense. Uh, and even prideful can be just struggling to attain the things uh, in life if, you, if you're just ignoring God. And Nebuchadnezzar fell into this trap. Like I said, if there was anyone that would have a claim to fame, it would be Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had this dream, and he had a dream where there was this tree that grew up and its branches covered the whole world and its fruit fed the whole world. And, and then, but a voice, and it covered the whole world. And, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I got scared and afraid in my sleep. Now, isn't it amazing that you can be the ruler of the, of the known world and still suffer from fear and the same worldly things that we all do. The Bible says there is no temptation that has come to you that is not common to man. So, you know, uh, God doesn't make you suffer more than other people and the devil's not picking on you or me in particular. All right? In one way or another, everything we go through is common to all of us in one way or another and, and that he will not provide a way of escape for that. So Nebuchadnezzar was having fearful dreams, and he's the, he's the king. He's having fearful dreams. So he calls for all these, uh, all these wizards and everyone to come and all these spooky people to come and try and interpret it for him. And, and whether they had interpretation that they just didn't want to tell him, we don't know, because he then called for Daniel to come and interpret this dream. And Daniel, it says, Daniel sort of, he paled. He went pale when he heard the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar had to give him permission to speak. And he said to him, well, don't be afraid. Tell me the truth. And so Daniel said, that tree is you. And the angel speaking from heaven that, that was said, he's going to chop down that tree, put a copper band around it so it doesn't fall apart, and it's going to be down in the grass. He said, that, that tree is you. And, and because you're not acknowledging the Most High God, and you, because of pride, and even though he had every right to be prideful from the worldly sense, God was going to demonstrate that, he, that this common grace which is on everyone, that he can pull back. He can pull back that common grace. And pride turns that tap off. And he said, You'll, he said you, you will eat grass, and that, that, was, that, was, that was the vision. And so Nebuchadnezzar, for a while, he honored God. Now, we all have these warnings, don't we? You know? I had one during the week, you know, someone said something, and I thought, well, that's a bit rough, and then I thought, well, no, they nailed me. You know, they actually nailed me where I was at. And um, so Nebuchadnezzar, he was fine after that for about 12 months. And God gives us this time to adjust our lives. And it's a grace period where we can judge ourselves. Paul says, I judge myself. We can judge ourselves how we're being prideful, how we're maybe not walking after God's call us. Or maybe we know that in God, God's leading us to do something, but, but we've just sort of put that on the shelf, and that's a grace time, but eventually it's going to fall apart. 
And there's nothing worse, I tell you, than a backslidden Christian. Like, true? All right? So, uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months later, he's standing up on, the, on, on his uh, balcony and he's, over, he's looking over Babylon and he says these words. He says, look at the wonderful things that I have achieved. And he had 12 months and, and he got struck down with insanity. Pride will lead you into delusion. And it's, it's, I'm not just talking about walking around like this. I'm talking about things like thinking everyone's picking on me. Or, you know, um, or thinking about, isn't my life hard? That can be pride. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar ate for seven seasons, whether that was seven months or seven years or, or seven seasons, the seven, you know, spring, winter, summer, until he came to his senses and he acknowledged that it was God that gave him everything. And he changed after that. He acknowledged the Most High God, the Lord of the heavens. All right? And that was a grace, you know, sometimes pulling, pulling uh, God withholding um, things from us is actually a work of mercy on our lives. There was a gentleman in Corinthians who was living with his um, father's wife and, and God said, exclude them from the church because there's grace in being in a church. He was excluded from the church that Satan might judge him, that he might come to repentance and they might live. live. Okay? But, but humility, all right, humility opens the, the door to God's grace and God's power in our life not putting ourselves forward, deferring to others. Who knows, in a, in a marriage or in any relationship, the Bible says husbands and wives submit one to another. And, and, and when you start deferring to what the other person wants, there's grace in that. You know, there's grace in that. They start to feel secure about the relationships. They start to be able to love you back. Okay? And God can move in that relationship. And the Bible says uh, not to think more highly of yourselves than what you ought. All right? And acknowledge that everyone, everyone is gifted, everyone is graced. And uh, as a pastor, it's more incumbent upon me to know that and to recognize and acknowledge it. But we, we really do. If you could listen to, to Linda and I, we really do. We brag on you. We brag on you to each other. We're so blessed with who we have. And we're so thankful and we're so aware that it's not us. And that sort of attitude is actually what we want as a church. We've actually got, we would never want to get up here and brag on the church. We get up here, we're bragging on God. All right, for what God's doing and what God's done. And there's many things just in everyday life. You see, the, the thing about pride is it's delusional. You don't recognize it as pride. I remember going through Bible college and they had car parks for staff and car parks for students, you know. And they had a different, they had a different, um, a different color painted down. And we were running late to Bible college. Uh, I won't tell you the reason why we're running late. Uh, but we were running late to Bible college. And, of course, when the door, like the lecture started at like 8 o'clock and the door shut, the door, the door just shut. Was it the same? Raymond down here, the door shut, and if you missed that, you had to go. If you actually weren't in your seat at 8 o'clock, 
you had to go and get a tardy. And like three tardies, you were in trouble. And you know, and so we were, we were running, we, we were late, and there's no car park. So I pulled into this staff car park, and we're getting out, and we're, we're Linda's bolting for the door. You know, the door was close to her. She got in, and the door closed on me. All right, I wasn't even the reason we were late, and the door closed on me. I, you know, like how that can just rise up self. How could they do that? You know, and so I had. It is another time, you had, you had badges, you had your name badges, all right? The badges had to be here, all right? They had to be there. Not there, not there, not there, not there, but there, all right? And one of our lecturers, Keith Moore, I don't know if you heard of Keith Moore, like he, because he, he was a Bible college student once himself, and he, said, he would say to us, what's the problem, guys? What's the problem with having the badge there? You got an issue? What's the issue? And they actually, at our Bible college, they would actually deliberately put things in that they knew would be irritating. You know? And one of my friends, Steve Smith, who was a second-year student, he, he used to get so, so mad about having to put his badge there. So mad. He said, and there was these ushers. Now, you know, like, people who do ushering, they're, like, they're very enthusiastic. They're very, at Bible college, they are enthusiastic. It has to be there. Right? And Steve was telling me at one time it was here. And he walked back out like this. He took it out like He took his name tag out. He went, put his forehead and said, Is that all right? You know, of course, he got hauled to the dean for that. Anyway, we love the dean, Gary Crowell. So I ended up doing really naughty things just so I could meet Gary Crowell, the dean. All right? But he would say, Well, what's the problem? What's the problem? What is the problem with the speed limit? 80 kilometers an hour. Now, Leon, I need to repent. But what's the problem with, there's grace in, what's the problem that your church is not perfect? What's the problem? You know? Like we've got warnings in our wave one. We said, no, we're not a perfect church. Right? If you want a perfect church, don't go there because you'll spoil it. Okay? But what's the problem? All right? There's grace in, in yielding to what God's doing in your life. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by